podcast has bad words. <laughs> the massage wasn't like your typical deep tissue massage. She like she did this thing where it's 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 like it's, it's it actually is a little woo woo y. Uh-huh. Because did, she, did you feel weird about cuz you haven't been tested for covid and so like I don't care dude. Yeah, cuz you're healthy. Yeah, I don't yeah, I mean I am precautious as right. much as I can be. Uh, I mean, I'm still so the I, massage therapist is precautious, and like I had a conversation with her about that beforehand because she has like people with MS and stuff that like so like she's been extra careful. In fact, she had to make sure that I was that Mariah and I were being careful. Yeah. Um. So Mariah got so one I'm too. caught. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So I'm cautious, and I don't want to spread it, um, because I think that's you know that's where the that's the worst thing is if you spread it and then it eventually gets to someone and then they die. That's kind of on you. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so sort I, of, yeah, yeah. So, so I care about that, but like, as far as me getting it or knowing if I had it, I don't care. I really could mm-hmm. care less. Mm-hmm. But anyway, the massage, uh, she did this thing where like she would kind of touch and go deep, mm-hmm. you know, put a lot of pressure on like two different points of your body at the same time. Yeah, and it was like it was like this weird alignment thing. It, there's not even a name for it because I was asking her, I was like, "What do you call this?" Because she doesn't call herself a massage therapist. Mm. And she's like, I have yet to really come up with a name for it. She's like, but it's just, she's like, this is is just how I see bodies and this is how I work with them. So I was like, all right, I'll give it a shot. How'd you hear about this person? My neighbor. I saw her leaving my neighbor's place. Oh, so is that your house? Yeah. Okay, wow. So long story short, it was unbelievable. Yeah? Yeah. Like I got up and like my, my weight sat differently on my feet. Oh, wow. Was it painful? A uh, couple points. It was, you know what? It wasn't, it wasn't pain- excruciating though. You know what? It it was weird because I never felt pain as much as discomfort, mm-hmm. and I don't know how to describe it other than that. Yeah, no, that makes sense to me. There were some extremely uncomfortable times when I wanted to like yell. Okay, it was really weird, which made me realize that for some reason I might be holding on to anger. I don't know why. Yeah. But, but anyway, um, it was it was an interesting experience. I, so so here in Los Angeles, by the way, we're recording this. Hello, patrons. What up? Um. Uh, we'll talk about the the COVID stuff in a second, and we've got a bunch of other things to cover today. But um, every night at eight o'clock, the, all the cheering starts. I don't know if that's happening in your neighborhood. No, all. it's not. Oh wow. Okay, so uh, where I live, in, in the top secret neighborhood that I live in, mm-hmm. um, there is, um, <laughs> and, you know, we live up on um, the thirteenth floor of of a building, and so, um, which is incredibly unlucky. I, <laughs> That's why they call it the penthouse <laughs> instead of the 13th uh, floor. So, um, no, there's uh, uh, they start chanting at eight o'clock to like to not chanting, but like um, cheering to thank all of the service workers. Yes, I do right? know about this. So, yeah. so, so you're familiar with this, right? Mm-hmm. And the reason I thought of this, Ryan, is you were talking about this pent up anger every night. I just open the window. Uh, the the sliding door and scream as loud as I can. Oh, nice! Like ah, and like it is so cathartic. Yeah, I hope they never stop this. I want to every night at eight o'clock. At eight o'clock, yeah, I might just keep doing it like a teretic person or something. Yeah, and and so because I. It, it feels so good to just let out that scream. But you gotta let me know about this this massage therapist. Or I will touch it's, therapist. It yeah, might, I'd, yeah, I'd like it's try it out. because it's it's a little it's a little body talk. Yeah, which I've never. It's not body talk in the sense that she talks to your body, 
but it, it's body talk in the sense that like she really is like she feels like she's making a connection with your body uh-huh. and that it kind of leads her to do whatever she does um yeah I'll, I'll totally yeah send you her number um but it is a little woo-woo-y. and i will tell you she she is uh <laughs> she's just a character a lovely amazing character Uh oh uh, yeah, so I tested positive yesterday for well, it was from last Thursday, but got the results back. Bex and I both went and got the blood test yep. for COVID nineteen, mm-hmm. and the results were both were, were positive for both of us for the antibodies. Right, right. So you don't I, have COVID I don't, I don't have an active infection now. I had it back in, and this makes total sense now. So mm-hmm. I'm just gonna lay out a timeline because initially I got tested and we thought it was negative. I'm gonna explain why. So back in March, March sixteenth, mm-hmm. seventeenth ish. I started having a fever and other symptoms. Right. Uh, very light cough, light fatigue. Yep. Pretty serious fever. It was. I've never had a fever for eight days before. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I've had bad fevers. Remember back when I had hand, foot, and mouth disease back in 2017? Oh, my God, we yeah. You couldn't even like get up and walk out the door. Yeah. Yeah, yeah but that lasted a couple of days, and then it broke. And that was an even higher fever. Right. But um, this fever just stretched on. It may have even been 10 days total, because I think I probably didn't start taking my temperature for a couple of days. Yeah. And so... I had a fever for well over a week. Yeah. And you went and got tested. I, well, I sort of got tested. So uh, I went to Doc Green, and this was a time when tests were really, really scarce. And so what they were doing at the time, the current belief was you could not have a co-infection. And so what they did was they tested you for other viruses first. And so I tested positive for the human rhinovirus, which is a cold virus, right? Yeah. And so if you test positive, they didn't want to waste the the SARS-CoV-2 reagents. That's a reagent is what it takes to, to test the the the, the sample. Is, so because so their belief was you can't have the cold and COVID-2 at the same time. That was the current belief at the time. That has since been proven false. That is not factual. Wow. And so uh, the good news is I didn't end up having to pay for that first test, which thank goodness. Oh, good. It was like a $500 test. Yeah. And the... the the reason I, I was willing to pay that much for that test at the time is I was separated from my family right. because I I had symptoms. Bex had a slight cold, but she didn't have the similar symptoms as me. And so we stayed separate from each other for over a week because mm-hmm. of this. And finally, I got the test results back and they were like, well, you can't have a co-infection, so you're all good to go. Well, it turns out that's not true. Yeah. And so I and it makes sense now because the human rhinovirus is not gonna it's a it's a cold it's a common cold you're not gonna have a, a fever for eight days right nine days ten days with a common cold yeah. and so uh back in march i had the coronavirus i had covid19 mm-hmm. and this test by the way is 99.9 percent accurate uh and the, the way they know that and this was done through lab by the way if you want to do a test i don't get anything for telling you telling you this but um if you're interested uh, our friend Adam Lamb is, is the yeah. the guy who I bought it from. It, they're relatively inexpensive now. I think they're just over a hundred bucks, hundred and forty nine or something like well, that. Well, it's re- yeah, relatively inexpensive compared to a five hundred. Yeah, test. compared to where what it was. Um. So okay. So let's talk about why this test is ninety nine point nine percent accurate. I'm going to do that. So, uh, Sean, put a link to it in the show notes. It's just a Renew Life RX dot com slash COVID. If you want a a test for yourself, they'll send you to a local lab core, and and then you get your blood drawn like like normal and then it takes about three days to get the two to three days to get the results back i believe and uh so the reason this test is effective is they took a bunch of blood samples mm-hmm. uh prior to the proliferation did of, they come to your house and do that i don't know if they can or they can't i went to a lab you went to a lab yeah okay. um and and so they, they they tested a bunch of samples that existed before the spread of sars cov2 and 
they tested for false positives, right? So no, I don't get it. Okay, so let's say, say you had your blood drawn back in J July of last year. Okay, you could test that blood. Can I? Absolutely. But do they still have that blood? Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of these places. You know, okay, okay, so yeah. the so the clinic you went to, they had blood samples from from you. LabCorp has lots of blood samples. So, oh, yeah. I see what you're saying. They have results. And they can tell with, so they don't even need your blood as much as they can. No, they went back and tested the blood. And so. So the, LabCorp holds on to your blood? I don't know if LabCorp does or doesn't, but, um, or if you give permission to or whatever. But you got your test and they yeah. compared it to blood that they had stored somewhere. No, in a, no, no, no. no. Oh, okay. That's not what I'm saying. Okay. So the way they test the accuracy of the test mm -hmm. is they go back and look at, at blood samples. Oh, okay. So they, so they took 1,020 blood samples. Okay. And they said, oh, we want to see what the false positive rate on this test is. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking it was probably going to be 10%, yeah. 20% even. Right. Um, and they, out of out of 1,020 uh, samples, mm -hmm. one false positive came back. Okay. And so it's a statistically viable sample size that the test is over 99% I see. accurate. Um, but yeah, so the way that they, the way that they uh, confirm this test was going back and testing 1,020 samples that they had. Exactly. And then to test. make sure there aren't yes. a bunch okay. of false positives. I see. I see. Now, if they would have come back with, yeah, there's 600 false positives, well, then it's a useless test. Or even if it was 500 or 400, whatever. Are you going to donate blood now? Uh, <laughs> I mean, I could, I guess. <laughs> if, if it was helpful, yeah, I'd be happy to. Yeah. Um, and, and so th the reason I bring this up is... I am immuno, slightly immunosuppressed. I, I'm on a medication for Crohn's disease mm -hmm. that I, I'm not severely immunosuppressed and I'm not immunocompromised necessarily. I thought it would have killed you, honestly. I was worried about you getting it. I was worried too that, that like it, something terrible could happen. And here's yeah. the thing. It was not fun. Having a fever for eight days, having all these symptoms, fatigue, et cetera, it was not bad, but it was not nearly... I mean, it wasn't it wasn't hand, foot, and mouth disease, which was far, 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 far worse. Would you rather have COVID for eight days or hand, foot, and mouth disease for three days? COVID for eight days, no, no question. Really, it's not even close. <laughs> okay, for me now. Right. That that said, hand, foot, and mouth disease, I'm sure kills a certain amount of people every year. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, I dealt with it. It was awful. It was terrible, terrible yeah. sickness back in 2017. Mm -hmm. And um, COVID was like this is a pretty bad cold with a a slight fever. So yeah. it was fever never got above 101, I don't think. Yeah. Which is still a fever. I mean, it, mm -hmm. it, I could feel it. And I, but, it, but the whole point being is um, I, I'm relatively healthy other, other than that medication I'm on. My diet is pristine. Mm -hmm. My exercise is pristine. Mm -hmm. And my, my lifestyle has a very little stress. And I, I sleep a lot, you know, I, you know, seven, eight hours every night. Mm -hmm. or, and, and, I've removed many of the stressors from my life. However, had I been in a, a compromised situation, mm -hmm. for example, um, the comedian Michael Yo got COVID. He ended up in the hospital on a ventilator mm. because, and he's healthy, healthy guy, but his immune system was damaged after a bunch of travel. He was on a bunch of coast to coast flights. He was driving out to see family. He was doing a bunch of shows. He was auditioning for things. And all of a sudden he was really worn down. Mm. And when you're worn down, a relatively healthy person isn't healthy. Your immune system can change up to thirty percent in from one night of bad sleep. Wow! Just if you have one bad night, one bad night of sleep, you're thirty percent immunocompromised that day. Wow! And so I bring all this up to say that I'm. I, I, by the way, I don't know how long I'm immune. Uh, so uh, I'm still being cautious. Mm -hmm. I'm wearing a condom right now. <laughs> 
Do they make them that small? <laughs> it's a finger cut. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Improvise, uh, adapt. Yeah. <laughs> what are you, Jocko Willing? <laughs> Good. All right. So um, I, I bring all this up to say that it was a big deal and I was really worried about it, But th- my doctor asked me, what are you going to do with these test results? And I said, I guess I'm just going to be less worried. Yeah. Like, and that's the thing, because I don't know how long we're immune for, and, and none of us know either. So it's still important to practice social distancing to a great extent, probably. Um, it is still probably going to make sense for me to be cautious and and to to live a healthful life, right? Yeah. And it's not like going out, well, I'm, I'm corona-free, I'm immune forever. We also don't know how long these antibodies last. Yeah. Some common cold viruses, your antibodies last for four or five months. Mm. That tends to be the minimum. Mm-hmm. For some viruses, that they it's a lifelong immunity, right? Mm-hmm. It's probably somewhere in between for this, but we don't know for sure. And so it's best to still be cautious, even though I came back, tested, uh, tested positive for the antibodies. It, it's a bit of a relief, honestly. Like I, I do feel relieved yeah. that, that I had it. And I probably, probably, that's the key word, have some sort of immunity here. But... We don't know about reinfections. Is it possible? It's totally possible. So I'm going to continue to be cautious. Well, I'm glad you feel better. I have not. Yeah, Mariah and I have not taken the test yet. I I mean, because we purchased it, we'll take it eventually. But I was talking to, oh, man, I forget his name, the doctor. Adam Lamb. Yeah, I was talking to Adam, and I was like, can I take this in like three or four months? He's like, yeah, no problem. Mm -hmm. So we'll probably take it then But because we have it. But but yeah, I'm I'm not super worried about it. Although talking about it, like right now I feel like, Oh, I have, take it. It's, it's I have a headache. I have a sore throat right now. Like you I, it's can take so it weird. again in three months. It's not an expensive test, and, yeah, and if, if sure. it's if it's worth the hundred dollars or so for a peace of mind, which it was for me for sure. Right. That's 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 the. Key I was paying right there. for the peace of mind. I'm glad that you have peace of mind, Milburn. Thank you. Well, we got a bunch of surprise questions today. Surprise. Uh, I want to talk about the virus of sentimentality. <laughs> I want to talk, that's a, that could be a pot, that could be the episode title: the virus of sentimentality. You're so cruel, Josh. Or or, or we could just talk about, call it sentimental junk, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a, quite the dichotomy, right? One person's sentimental items, another person's junk. Before we get into all that, Ryan, let's read some more about less. Uh, I have this article from Raising Simple. We'll put a link to this in the show notes. It's called Seven Questions to Help You Let Go of Sentimental Things. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I do want to go through some of the questions yeah. here, Ryan. I think these questions are helpful. They're probably different questions from what you and I typically ask, so mm-hmm. I wanted to get another person's perspective here and so this is from raising simple number one why am i keeping it i think it's an important place to start we 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 often don't even ask ourselves like why why do i have this Mm. now we can start to make up a whole bunch of excuses right yeah why well just in case right uh i want to use it next year or i don't might need it again you know yeah what i'm thinking of some of what are some sentimental items that you have let go of uh Ryan over the course of the last decade, but especially when you, oh, when you had the packing party. Yeah, pictures. Uh, I let go, like I talked about in the minimal episode, my car. I've let go of letters, which, again, going back to kind of what we were talking about in the minimal episode, the letters that I had, like when I opened up that shoebox, I saw letters from my mom, and I was like, oh, man, like these really meant a lot to me in high school. So I pulled one out and read it, and it, the memory felt better than like actually reading the letter. Which was weird. like like it's like uh, like the letter said something different in my mind or it had you know uh-huh. the emotion it, it was the waterfall but it was actually Exa- when you when you opened it up it was just a, a trickling creek exactly yeah. yeah it was interesting um 
I don't know, man. Uh, I, I can think of something. I've lying. had I've had to decline a lot of sentimental items. Like my grandma, my grandmother. You're letting go of them in advance. Yeah, right. My grandmother, my Oma, she uh, her husband died a couple years ago, and we had to go down and help her pack everything up. And she tried to give me a bunch of stuff, and I was just like, I'm like, I'll take one. She has all these steins. Yeah. So I took one stein. Einstein, dude, this, this, Eric Weinstein. It's this, this stein that I got, dude. I just got it because it was the weirdest stein I've ever seen in my life. It was. All, it all is in German, mm-hmm. and it's Bill and Hillary Clinton on this stein <laughs> with an American eagle like as the lid, and it is like. And now I keep all my foreign change in there. <laughs> it's the most. Ra- and I was like, I was like, that actually is pretty freaking. Fun. It's like a piece of weird art that uh, I yeah I, I took. I can think of something similar. So when we were doing your packing party. This was November of 2019, I believe, mm-hmm. and when we were going through your packing party, which we filmed a lot of that on like an old camcorder, and I don't know if we still have that footage anywhere, no, but dude, it would be hilarious. It was so bad. It'd be, oh. Hi, I'm Ryan. I'm we should have kept it for sentimental reasons. Yeah, right. Uh, now, so. Um, <laughs> the only thing that survived that we recorded from that was like the two pictures of my closets. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, that I was remember pretty that. Much it. They're still on the blog right now. If you yeah. go to the, the 21 Day Journey, uh, we'll put a link to that in the show notes. You can still see the picture, like the before and after picture of Ryan's closets. And a young, dashing 29 year old Ryan, 28 maybe. I don't used know. to be so young. Yeah. Um, You're going to be 39 this year. Yeah. Wait, so are you. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, the day this comes out, Ella turns seven. And um, what'd you get her for her birthday? I, I was going to say, I think we might go out to the beach. You want to go? She wanted to invite you and Mariah. She wanted to write you. She told me to that she wanted me to write you an invitation. <laughs> she was delegating the invitation writing. <laughs> That's great. Uh, yeah, dude, we'll totally do. Yeah, we'll talk about it. Then. Um, anyway, uh, so so, um, where was I going with this? Sentimental items, packing party. Oh, packing party. Yeah. You had like thirty mugs, uh, yeah. coffee mugs. Yes. And, I drink coffee. Right, right. And they were like garbage co- coffee mugs too. Like it was like, you know, Cormac Construction Company. World's best dad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you're like, but wait. Don't, don't. And so like my, my point in, in bringing this up is anything. To shame me. Yes. <laughs> that was Ella's tweet this morning. Uh, I want to see your shame face. <laughs> You can follow Ella, Ella on Twitter, by the way. She says the craziest things, at Ella Sandwich. Anyway, Ryan, um, my point is we can assign meaning, sentimentality, mm-hmm. memory, whatever, false meaning, false memories to these items. Yeah. You know, that Cormac construction mug means so much to me. Mm-hmm. I've had it since I was 17. Okay, so what? Mm-hmm. So if we're, we're talking about the why... Yeah. Often we talk about the what instead of the why. I've had it since I was 17. That's not why you, you keep it. You know why I held That's on. That's the what you keep. You know why I held on to 30 coffee mugs? Tell it's me. the same reason why I had two closets full of clothes is because I hated doing dishes and I hated doing laundry. But all you do is just create more dishes and more laundry for yourself. <laughs> you're sort of like you're making up for bad habits by a, another bad habit, which yeah. is hoarding essentially, yeah. right? Yeah. All right, number two is... Uh, how do I want to live my life? Now, at first, that that you wouldn't think that question is is. And by the way, each question here has a, a bit of a um, dissertation associated with it. Where I'm not going to read that, but you can check it out in the article itself. Anyway, um, how do I want to live my life? That question seems tangential to this, and it is, but it also illuminates 
the need for having the item or for not having the item. Mm. Because quite often, if you say, how do I want to live my life? You realize that many of the things, by the way, I've been been asking this question a lot and, and asking it with, I think I got this from Farnham Street, which is a a uh, fs.blog it's a newsletter it's one of the few newsletters i subscribe to but the question that i've been asking a lot lately is uh does this help me get what i want Hmm. and that question helps ella out a lot too because she starts throwing a fit i want to watch videos hey ella is behaving like this helping you get what you want yeah but i'm just a, a kid too right and so like sometimes i i i act in ways where i'm like is holding on to this thing is drinking this coffee is eating this piece of cake whatever it is is this helping me get what i want and so maybe i'd replace that question with how do i want to live my life is is this thing helping me get what i want um uh, number three is what is my most cherished sentimental item i actually think that's a dangerous question i'm i agree with i I disagree with with asking this question um well it's okay it's okay to have a most cherished item i don't know i agree with that but go ahead it's not to me it's not okay to feel like you can't live a meaningful life without that chair okay yeah yeah because i I, like i there's two steins i have i really like them like i i keep my change in them they're functional yeah i see them and i'm like oh i love my oma yeah i mean so like i i I get it i think you made a great distinction there you love your your oma yeah right your grandma Mm -hmm. um you and then you said I really like the Stein, and and the problem I have with the word is with the word cherish. Like, mm-hmm. where does that cherish belong? Cherish to me is is closer to that love piece. Yeah, and I I want you to avoid. I mean, so our whole thesis is is love people and use things, mm-hmm. and and I don't see a whole lot of room for cherish things in there. Yeah, cherish people, cherish relationships, cherish experiences. I don't cherish things. The word cherish sounds weird to me now. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I just have a bone to pick with that question. Yeah. If I were to posit it differently, like what are the most sentimental items I like the most? Mm. Great. What are the sentimental items I get the most value from? Great. What is cher- What's the definition of cherish? I wonder. I'm sure Sean can look that up while we're going through this here. Yeah. Uh, number four is would I leave this as someone else's responsibility? So... Um, Think about this. Do I want to pawn this off on someone else? I'm holding on to the sentimental item. And maybe I'm not getting value from it, but quite often we were talking about this during the minimal, the the gal who's holding on to the the wedding dress. It's almost like you're pressuring someone else to cherish something else. You're going to cherish this or else. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Number five is. Wait, wait, wait. Sean looked it up. Cherish to hold dear. Ooh. Yeah. I don't want to hold. I don't want to hold a deer. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what's the baby deer though feel or show affection for oh definitely don't want to sh- yeah okay i uh, I, I i i'm doubling down on my position then yeah uh, I, again i think it's okay to because things do you know bring back memories i get it yeah but, they trigger them for sure but it's yeah uh i think you can still cherish something and be but still let it go still be willing to let it go maybe cherish the memory not the thing yeah. You could tweet that podcast, Sean. Number five is, would a photo be enough? Which is a perfect segue here. Quite often, you know, this is what I did with my mom's stuff. I took photos of a lot of her things. Mm-hmm. In fact, we just recreated it for our next film. God, dude, think, speaking of sentimental items, I have a picture of you and your mom's jeans. 
<laughs> this like a really bad skinny jeans. It was on this BlackBerry I had uh-huh. that I found. I don't even know where the, how the heck I found it. It was like sitting in uh, not a junk drawer. It was sitting in a box. I don't know what it was in. And I was like, oh, there's a BlackBerry, but it was the screen was disabled on it. So I called someone mm-hmm. to see if they could get the pictures off of it, and it was like six hundred dollars for them to try to get pictures off and they were like if we recover something you get it if we don't recover something you still owe us 600 bucks and i was like i'm the good pic- on that picture is not worth 600 i think i still have that photo actually do you yeah oh that's yeah. funny uh, the title of it uh, i remember the title uh, you titled it sock star it's <laughs> <laughs> great that was a great trip that was us down in st petersburg florida my mom was going through chemotherapy yeah. and this was 2008 2009 somewhere in there and uh you you took a trip down there and you forgot to pack any shirts, t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> this is before minimalism. You yeah. and I were not minimalists at the no, time. We were no. in the corporate world. And I have this picture of you. Uh, we were at Kawa Coffee. This is before we owned, this is a, almost a decade before we owned a coffee shop down mm-hmm. there. Uh, Ka- Kawa Coffee is, they do not have great coffee, but they have a beautiful aesthetic. And I really <laughs> We used like to them. think it was awesome coffee. Uh, even no? back then, I was kind uh, of iffy on it. But I don't know, I mean, Starbucks used to be like my favorite. Like it's, anyway, go. anyway. Anyway, so uh, I, I have this picture of you asleep mm-hmm. on a couch. You, you had went to this uh, store, this um, Tchotchke Beach towels yeah and i got like i got uh yeah t-shirts that said things like uh yeah cereal killer and it had like a bowl of cereal with yeah. a spoon in there There's one, and, like, you have a picture of you with my mom and it says uh weapons of mass destruction it's just two arrows pointing out at your arms <laughs> <laughs> and i have this picture of you sleeping on kawa coffee's couch mm-hmm. and you're wearing a shirt that has a camel on it it just says wanna hump <laughs> <laughs> You also had cargo shorts on in that picture, oh. which was awesome, dude. I s- anyway, what I photo- still like cargo shorts. I don't wear them because I get made fun of for wearing them. Well, I, actually, they're back in style. So um, are they? According to Jack Harlow, they are. Interesting. Yeah, and so um, here's like the thing. two years ago, though. It, it, sure. Yeah, maybe they're back out of style again. Yeah. Well, don't wait six months; they'll be back in style. Nice cargo shorts. <laughs> yeah. Uh, drive by insults. I got to tell you, dude. In Portland, I got I get drive by insults in Portland more than anywhere. I mean, not any, but like when we've been in Portland in the past. Uh huh. Like, is it by Antifa fact, or is the it by on- the Proud Boys? It's the I don't know, but it's the only <laughs> it's the only city where literally people f- look at me and they're like they want to mess with me. I don't know why, dude. It's I really don't know. Wrong. Anyway, you're so toothsome, I guess. Uh, so would a photo be enough? Yes, I'd much rather have that photo of you with the want a hump shirt than have the actual want a hump shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I so agree. yes, sometimes my my point is sometimes a photo is more. Uh, beneficial than having the actual artifact, right? Mm-hmm. Because it captures a moment in time as well. Picture's worth a thousand laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> Number six is keeping. Is it keeping me from my why? So that goes back to the question number one, right? Mm. The first question is why am I holding on to this or why am I keeping it, right? And and so if you want, if you've answered that why, sometimes the the why. The thing is actually getting in the way of the why. And finally, number seven, what what do I need in this season of my life? And mm. the reason that's important is because as I like the, the question. Yeah, this, as seasons change, right? Mm-hmm. We change. Our needs change. The things that add value to our life changes. Yeah. Sometimes we have to bring more things in. Sometimes what was appropriate a year ago is no longer appropriate now. And by the way, we're in the middle of this this pandemic, and and so. 
sometimes what was appropriate five days ago is different from what's appropriate now. So it's important to keep asking that question. What is appropriate? Does this add value to my life today? And if not, being willing, being willing to let go is obviously important. Yeah. I finally got a haircut, Ryan. <laughs> I could tell. I, uh, you got all of them cut. Yes. Uh, I had the lady come to my house because it was really unfortunate. I mean, she's on uh, unemployment right now. I like the lady who How cuts my hair. Her? I just texted her. Oh. And um, she she's uh, she's awesome. And, and But, like, she's on unemployment. Like, they're not sending out checks in time. She's like, I couldn't afford to pay my rent. I had to move in with a friend. Oh, my God. And so I'm thinking about, like, there, there's so many people like this. There's, like, it's approaching 40 million unemployed. Yes. Yeah. And people are struggling, man. And, yeah. and so I want to say that if you're a Patreon supporter, well, if you're listening to this, you're obviously a Patreon supporter. Your support means more than ever. It allows us yeah. to keep uh, several people employed, including ourselves. And we keep getting to do this. And we're really grateful for that. Ryan, on the minimal, we talked about being willing to walk away from anything. And I, I wanted to bring that up for this Maximal episode because I think letting go of sentimental items often starts... Not with letting go of them, but just the willingness to walk away. Taking a look at everything and saying, look, I'm willing to walk away from any of this. Now, sometimes we're, we're forced to let go of things. In our new book, we, we tell a story of uh, Jason and Jennifer Kirkendall. Um, I believe they're from Minnesota, but they, they um, well, I don't want to give away the whole story, but there's an event. They were forced to let go of some stuff. They were forced to let go of everything, let's yeah, just say. Yeah. And um, thankfully... They had embraced minimalism just a month or two before that. Yeah. And had they not done that, they these things that were ripped from their life would have been much more detrimental. And why? Because it's about a state of mind. Yeah. And I can say this is even applicable to me now. The COVID-19 thing, Ryan. Mm-hmm. Two days ago, I was a lot more worried about catching COVID-19. Yeah. And now... I know that even if I were to re- get reinfected, mm-hmm. I've been through it once. I know what it's like. Now, could it be different a second time? Of course it could. Yeah. But I have some experience there. I have a different mindset. It's 10% physical. It's 90% psychology. And I would say the same thing with the physical items. Totally. Yes, the things augment. They enhance. They amplify our experience of life. But most of that is just psychological. Yeah. Our tools are often tools, but we hold on to them for reasons beyond the, the, the purpose that they actually serve. And so being willing to walk away from the things in our life means that we can take that step when necessary to, to let go. Now, I, when I was dealing with my mom's stuff, I, I did it backwards, Ryan. I, I mean, I, I spent 12 days donating, selling, recycling, letting go of her stuff after Mm -hmm. she died and i I kept a handful of sentimental items Mm -hmm. but the lesson i learned out of all of that and you can read it in everything that remains if you haven't read everything that remains the lesson i learned in all of that is that well there's a bunch of them but one of the the big ones that i learned is that by having fewer sentimental items Mm. we're able to enjoy those sentimental items much more i think that's just maybe that's almost science in a way where because it's like if i were to give you it's almost the law of diminishing returns. You know, like if you eat a Snickers bar right now, I'm sure it's delicious. Mm-hmm. This podcast is brought to you by Snickers. Um, <laughs> and if, if it's delicious, but at what point where you're like, this is awful. The, the seventh Snickers? Probably. 
<laughs> there's only one way to find out. That's right. Sean, Sean. get out the Snickers. <laughs> and, and, and there is a point where there's diminishing returns. And at some point, if you're on Snicker Bar 26 in one sitting, it's miserable. It went from delightful, joyous, to, oh my God, I can't tolerate this. I think the same thing is true with our sentimental items. Of course. Yeah, I mean, think about a hoarder. It's like, hoarders don't like being hoarders. They, yeah. they, yeah, they, they, they hate, I mean, not that they, yeah, it, it, they have this un, unchecked urge to hold on to things that they would rather fulfill that need rather than the need of letting, but like they, they're sitting in their pile of stuff and they know that mm-hmm. it's causing them misery. Right. I mean, that's an extreme example, but yeah, I totally it's, it's agree. It's not that extreme because I was, I, I can make the argument for me, especially that I was a hoarder. I mean, you were. I was a hoarder. I mean, I mean, yeah, I, I, I would say so, but I mean, I'm not here to judge you, obviously. And, right. and, and hoarding is a type of uh, mental disorder that, yes. that exists on a spectrum, right? Mm-hmm. Now, I have OCD, and hoarding is a form of OCD. Now, I was a well-organized hoarder, but I think often, or so I looked really organized. Right. You came to my house, the the boxes and bins. It looked like a container store showroom in my in my basement. Yeah, but like. It was still hoarding. It was organized hoarding. And that's what organizing is, just well-planned hoarding Yeah, and, and in a lot of cases. And and I say that as a person who still struggles with OCD now. Now, minimalism has helped in, in many ways with that OCD. and and But it's also helped me from not letting the pendulum swing to the other side. People think minimalism is the other side of hoarding. Mm-hmm. It's not. No. Because it's not asceticism. It's not Spartanism. Yeah. Spartanism is a form of OCD that means I can't hold on to anything. Yeah. It sounds extreme, but it really, it's yeah, it's the middle, I feel like. Right. Yeah. And so when dealing with my mom's stuff, I learned that having fewer sentimental items, I enjoy those sentimental items much more. The few pictures I kept, you know, a couple of doilies, which eventually I actually, some, some of the sentimental things I kept in the, when I was 28, 29, I let go of several years later I, I realized like oh like i'm not getting the joy the purpose I, I thought i was you had the smallest little thing of ashes of your mom and i was really right. shocked when you let that go because yeah. i don't know if i could have done that i mean yeah. i could i have sure right would i have i don't know if i would have yeah i just i mean that that was the thing like so our memories aren't in our things but my mom's also not in her ashes right right and I, when i realized that it was although that was we have a demented sense of humor. We can do this since we're on Patreon, but like you would like come over and play ping pong with my mom's ashes. <laughs> like put name tags on. Them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So, so uh, let's talk about dealing with sentimental items. Uh, uh, like I said, I, I, I wouldn't start there. I would start somewhere easy. Usually I find if you're just letting go of things, you're starting to let go, download the free rule book if you want. Uh, start with the 30-day minimalism game. If you want to get really extreme, do Ryan's packing party. Now, you can do it in one room. You could do it multi-room. You could do a whole house packing party. Those are sort of the three options. We, we even did a p- packing party case study in our next book mm-hmm. where we had 47 individuals and families who participated over the course of, of three weeks last April. And, and they, uh, April 2019, and learned a lot of lessons throughout that entire process. And you could, you could do that, but don't start with the most difficult items mm. when, you, when you're talking about getting rid of stuff. What is easiest? What's going to get you that momentum? 
I think it's close. I mean, the average American already gets rid of, what, 81 pounds, 88 pounds of clothes a year. Really? Yeah. It throws wow. out 81 pounds, I believe, of clothes every year. Wow. And, and that's not minimizing. That's just them getting rid of stuff normally. Mm. So you've got a lot of clothes that you don't wear anymore. You haven't worn in the last 90 days or six months or a year. Start there. That's easy to get rid of. If you haven't worn something the last year, get rid of it. That's... That's something that, that you can start. There's no sentimentality there uh, because, I mean, unless you really want to assign some meaning to something. And then once you get that momentum, you <laughs> anything can... sentimental if you try hard enough. You could tweet that, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about, um, let's talk about um, dealing with, with my, my sentimental items. The things that were easy for me to get rid of we're, when I started asking some of the questions that we, we covered a moment ago with the, the seven questions to help you get rid of sentimental things, I started asking questions like, does this serve a purpose? Does it bring me joy? Uh, I started applying some of the, the rules loosely to it, the seasonality rule, mm. the just-in-case rule, etc. And I realized that, oh, this thing, I'm never going to use this again. It's not even displayed in my home. Mm -hmm. And some of the things were even displayed in my home. I'm like, I don't even like this. I'm holding on to it because I feel like I'm supposed to hold on to this mm -hmm. thing. But I'm not supposed to do anything. It's right. my choice. Now, Ryan, when you were going through your packing party, were there some things that were really easy to get rid of? Uh, Yeah. Actually, everything was pretty easy. Once I started and got the momentum, it was pretty easy. There were a couple things that... I was really attached to that I was surprised how I let go. So electronics were a little hard for me to let go because I felt like I wasn't getting the money back that I spent on them, but I had to accept the sunk cost. Yeah, the, the sunk hardest, cost fallacy. hardest thing I had to let go of is I had this chair. It's the first piece of furniture I ever purchased in my life. I paid $450 for this chair. It was wood, leather, had this beautiful stool with it. I mean, it was a gorgeous piece of art. Uh -huh. But we were moving out to Montana. Yeah. And I had two options. I could store it or I could like sell it. Yeah. So I had this garage sale, sold everything that I could. I sold it for $40. It's all I could get out of it. And that it was, it was difficult. And I like a piece of me is like, Oh, I should have given it to a friend so I could like see that chair if I go, go back to Ohio. But ultimately, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't lose sleep over it, but no. yeah, it did, but this antique chair was like, that's probably the hardest thing I've ever had to let go of because a, it, it was sentimental. B, I got a 10th, not even a 10th of what right. I paid for it. Well, you're illustrating something about the sunk cost fallacy. An item is not worth what you paid for it. It is worth what someone else is willing to pay for it now. Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes things appreciate, right? They go up in value. Yeah. And if that's the case, if you paid $2 for a chair and all of a sudden someone was willing to pay $10 for it, mm -hmm. then it's worth $10. It's not worth what you paid for it. It's worth what someone's willing to pay for now and most of the time especially with things that we purchase i mean uh, clothes are a great example as soon as you buy a shirt from a rack at you know, wherever you shop structure <laughs> <laughs> true religion <laughs> uh, so anyway uh, w as soon as you 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 buy something you buy a hundred dollar pair of jeans they're worth maybe 90 percent less than that if you're lucky yeah. as soon as you walk out of the store true 
used clothes are worth functionally zero. Mm-hmm. That's why we donate them because they're often easier to donate than sell. That's not always true. I still sell some things on eBay right now. I sold a jacket on eBay a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And so you can still sell you can still sell some things. There is a, a secondary market for gently used clothes. In fact, I quite often buy new mine new to me clothes mm-hmm. from eBay and, and they might be gently used. Someone wore something once and didn't like it. I'll get it at a radically discounted price and if I were to buy it from Nordstrom or, or whatever, right? Yeah. And by the way, it's uh, it, it's recycling the item as opposed to buying something brand new. Another thing you're illustrating here, Ryan, is the true cost of owning a thing. Because the chair that you paid $450 for, had you decided to put it in storage, now all of a sudden, let's say the storage, in fact, the, the lady who was cutting my hair this past uh, week, she had to put some of her stuff in storage mm-hmm. and I'm like I hope you went out to Inland Empire or something because if uh, you're storing something in LA she's like I got a tiny storage locker it's 60 bucks a month yeah $60 a month for the 720 t- bucks a year yeah and so that chair could have if you stored it for w- just one year yeah it, it would have ended up costing you over a thousand dollars yeah and and then there are all the other costs, the worrying about the thing, the, the cleaning the thing you know, wh- whatever these additional costs are the cost goes way beyond the price tag. Yeah. And so you have to keep that in mind when we're talking about holding on to sentimental items mm-hmm. because how much space are they taking up? How much extra space do you need because you're storing all of these things you don't use that aren't bringing you joy and in fact quite often get in the way of the contentment that you are pursuing yeah. through things. Mm-hmm. Now, I had a comment here on Twitter. Jade said, uh, when I said our memories aren't in our things... Uh, he said, uh, when I said, our memories aren't in our things, our memories are inside us. He said, things in our memories is a truer statement. And Mm. so sometimes it's better to have the things in our memories to then try to have memories attached to our things. I like that. Tweet that podcast, Sean. Speaking of podcast, Sean, we have some surprise questions from him today. What do we got from Priscilla, Ryan? Why do we hold on to things? <laughs> so I, I, I thought this this you know, this question is fascinating because because we're all addicted to something. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and so it, it, what does addiction mean, right? Like maybe we don't have a chemical addiction to things like mm-hmm. we do. We could to opioids or. But we, we're addicted to. But we are addicted to uh, dopamine, though. Right, right. And so the question then becomes, depending on what study, study you look at, is it possible to be addicted to things? It depends what your uh, definition of addiction is. I tend to use the, the looser uh, definition of addiction that Rich Roll, uh, our friend yeah, Rich, subscribes to. That's fair, yeah. Where, where he, he talks about if it gets in the way of your ordinary everyday life or your best life, then it's an addiction. If you're continuing to do something that's having a negative effect on your life, then you're addicted. Yeah. Right, yeah. right. So even if it's not a chemical addiction, like I don't think... Uh, gambling the studies show that gambling isn't the same chemical addiction that alcohol is mm-hmm. but there's there's no question that people still have gambling addictions right we know that yeah because it gets in the way of your everyday life it has a negative influence on your life and so why do we hold on to things is Priscilla's question. And I, I'm going to say that there are evolutionary reasons that we hold on to things. If you look at our closest ancestors, Ryan, you look at the chimpanzees, you look at bonobos mm-hmm. uh, the, there's one group the bonobos, where if you give them a horde of bananas, they share it with their uh, brothers and sisters and yeah. community tribe members, etc. If you give it to a chimp, they will fight the other chimpanzees to the death. Good grief. And here's the good news about that is 
we behave a lot like chimps and bonobos. We get to choose. We get to choose whether or not we behave like the bonobos. You, sir, may have come from a bonobo. <laughs> <laughs> but I came from a rib. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I came from dirt and a rib. <laughs> a mick rib. Um, <laughs> You know why they did the the, the McRib actually uh-huh. McDonald's came up with that. I was reading like you know random facts the other day. Uh-huh. They had a shortage. Uber facts. <laughs> <laughs> you got to pay per fact. <laughs> oh, patent pending. Um, <laughs> dude, I used to follow Uber facts until I realized like their facts were not facts. Anyway, um, yeah, but they're but they're facts, <laughs> right? But they had a shortage on beef. It was something, I forget when it was. So they were like, oh, crap, like we got to come up with something else to sell. So they did the McRib, but then it became super popular. But it was a total like, it was it was just, well, McDonald's is like, you know, bad food in general. But the the yeah. people, like I literally seen people get excited about the McRib. It's kind of delicious from what I remember, but I haven't yeah. had one since I was a teen. And here's what I'll say, though. They also do a really good job of selling scarcity. And, yeah. and this, is, this is an example. Yeah. Ha- if the McRib was available... Uh, 365 days a year. Wouldn't sell nearly as much. They, yeah, no one would care about it, right? No. But if they bring it back for a limited time, we're giving you this mediocre item, but it's available only for a limited time. I have to have it because otherwise it's going to go away. You want to bring up the McDonald's lobster roll, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> we were in, on tour in 2014 and, and we were all along New England and Ryan was trying a lobster roll everywhere. Josh we, was on a book tour. I was on a lobster roll tour. That's right. <laughs> and and we'd go from city to city. We, we were in like Boston and and New York and Providence, Rhode Island, and Portland, Maine. By the way, Providence has the best lobster roll. Really? Yeah. Okay. And and then well, you thought that until we made it to Halifax. Oh, I know Portland. I'm getting the cities conflated. It's Portland, Maine. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Portland, Maine. Well, then we made it to Halifax, and Ryan saw the Mick Lobster Roll, and I was like, dude, McDonald's, everything is so tasty. I'm just gonna go for it. And it was basically mayonnaise and bread <laughs> with like one little piece of it was like our childhood lobster. Yeah. All right. Laura it was made with qu- real lobster. Laura has a question for us. Breaking the association between mementos and memories may require a form of ritual to release the thing while maintaining the memory. I could see that an exploration of effective rituals could be helpful. Does this bring you joy? Does this spark joy? Oh God. And if so, visit the KonMari website to, <laughs> to shop for items that will bring you joy. Oh, my God. And as we age, we collect tons of memories. So how do we make peace with letting go of those, too? You don't have to let go of memories, Laura. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think it's a... I don't agree with that question. Yeah. And, and so here's the thing. I mean, eventually we'll all let go of memories because we'll no longer be here. We'll all be dust. On a long the, enough timeline. Yeah. The memories will fade eventually. And uh, I think we might, might even have some questions in here about what happens when you lose your memory, et cetera. Yeah. Um, actually, I think it's the next uh, one, one of yeah, uh, so Sean's questions. I agree with the rituals. I like rituals personally. Yeah. Um, and actually, you know, we're joking around, uh, joking around about Marie Kondo, but in her show... Yeah. You know, they do the thing where they think the item. Yeah, she does this in her book too. I think yeah. that's a really helpful thing. Yeah, I like I like it because it's like it is. It's acknowledging like, oh, this thing, this thing did serve a purpose, and maybe it did bring me joy, and I'm grateful that I had this thing. And there really, I, there is something weird about that ritual that I totally have used, like to, to let go of stuff with the car. It was yeah. like, I, I mean, and it's funny because actually, just thinking about the gratitude for that car right now, it helps me to release the the little bit of angst that I still have of like. 
we should have blown it up. We should have done something. I should have auctioned it off. Like, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I I like the ritual the ritual idea. I'm uh I'm a fan of the KonMari method. Um, I, I'm a fan of ninety percent of the things that she's done. Uh, there are two things that stand out to me that that um one is the spark joy thing, and and the reason that I have some trouble with that it seems to be a, a translation issue mm. between between uh english and japanese mm-hmm. and and i really think that she doesn't mean joy in the sense that ryan and i will talk about joy because when i talk about item bringing me joy it means i have a shared experience with someone else around it. i think joy happens only with respect to other people yeah and and so i think it's impossible to be uh joyous about a particular item without it illuminating or enhancing experience between other people uh, however, uh, I, th- I think maybe an item can bring you pleasure. It can bring you happiness to a certain extent if used correctly. Especially as, as that fleshlight you have, huh? <laughs> 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 it helps to see in the dark. My flashlight? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Um, so, mm. yes, I, I, I do think that... Um, the the joy thing is is a translation issue and so yes uh, items can help us be more comfortable or more content there's no question about that right mm-hmm. uh the 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 main problem i have with anything marie kondo is that i i find it be very quixotic to try to solve our stuff problems with more stuff and if the minimalists were to open up a stuff store uh, the if you what, don't what, what would we sell like what we sell like the only thing i would feel comfortable selling are the things that i own so it would be like <laughs> the, e- the f- eBay for Ryan. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, I'm saying like I would be happy to recommend a standing desk, for example. Mm-hmm. Like I could genuinely be like, "Hey, I like this standing desk. If you want to be like me, you you might like this standing, or if you're like me, you might like the standing desk." Yeah. But the thing is, is like to to have a warehouse full of things. Yeah, I, I just yeah, I don't get it either. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and and. and- the thing is, like, I don't think there's anything wrong with having stores and and no. and, and buying. We stuff. need stuff. Yeah, and, and and I'm actually kind of that's what a paradox because we need the stores, but we wouldn't personally have a store. Well, and, but, but we go to stores all the time. Sure, and and I think there's a difference there, right? And even like we own a coffee shop, and yeah. there is a small retail section of beans and, and things like yeah. that. And and the question then becomes like, do I want to add to the 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 noise, etc.? Yeah. It's kind of like going to a museum versus like having the hoard yourself. It's like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I guess with Marie Kondo, I, what I'm getting at is is maybe her store isn't quite the paradox because people still need but her, all of her stuff is organized it's just helped it helps you to be an organized hoarder yeah really. and that, that's and the thing about organizing is we need to be really careful about organizing and and that's the message the, the easiest way to organize your stuff is to get rid of most of it not to organize it mm. all right we got a question here from vanilla fudge mm. i love vanilla fudge i like any type of fudge really <laughs> i completely get the whole minimalist thing I'm minimalist at heart, but not to this extreme. What extreme? <laughs> I sure hope that when you get older and your mind starts to decline, memories start to fade, and your past starts to become a distant vision that you don't wish you had kept this stuff. Dude, it's so funny. Like, uh, We're doing amateur interviews right now. Yeah, so for our next film, we're interviewing Look people who were greatly affected by our first documentary. And w- one of the people I was interviewing, they said, uh, 
they were getting like r- kind of ribbed by friends and family. They're like, oh, you're a minimalist, but you wish you would have held on to all that stuff because now you're stuck in your house. Yeah. And they're like, dude, I've been, this is what I've been preparing for. Yeah. Because I have essential things. I have, yeah. I have everything that I need and I'm not stuck around a horde of things. Yeah. And it's just funny how they're, I'm not going to get older and be like, oh, I wish I kept a horde of things. Yeah. Like, sure would be happier if I held on to everything. Is there going to be a moment when I'm 75 where I'm like that broken waffle maker and that basketball trophy? God, I wish I wouldn't have gotten rid of those. Yeah. Of course not. And by the way, when you start saying these things out loud, my real question is, what are you afraid of? And, and vanilla fudge, by the way, you're, you're using an avatar, uh, you know, a, a fake handle or whatever. You're not even using your real name. And, and why is that? Well, bec- and, and you're projecting your own insecurities on us. I'm not telling you to get rid of anything, by right. the way. You keep whatever you want. This is an I could give a shit. Yeah, this is just an op-ed. Yeah. And, <laughs> this is and, our opinions. We hope here, it helps. Here's the thing. Um, what you're really saying when you, when you say this question I sure hope that when you get older and your mind starts to decline, you're talking about yourself, right? Mm-hmm. What you're saying is, I sure hope that when I get older and my mind starts to decline, mm-hmm. memories start to fade, uh, and my past starts to become a distant vision that I don't wish I had kept some stuff. Dude, I okay, my childhood is a distant vision. Yeah, there's. I can think of different toys I had and different outfits I had. I mean, so I have Superman pajamas that, I mean, I wore them all the time i don't like there's nothing from my childhood that is 38 years ago it'll be 39 years ago in october mm-hmm. uh nothing that i can so when i'm 80 why would that change for me why would that feeling change the the other thing too is if i'm 80 years old actually at any point not just being 80 at any point now right. or any time in the future if i'm looking back of oh i wish i would have held on to that thing well then guess what then i'm doing it wrong because because yeah. that's that is that minimalism is not just getting rid of your things it's keeping things that make you a better person yeah yeah, yeah. And, and so here's here's what i'll say finally to vanilla fudge vf <laughs> is that on a long enough timeline the memories are going to fade. Yeah, maybe my memory will fade, and maybe I'll get Alzheimer's, and and I'll start to forget things. Mm-hmm. But that's okay. Uh, you're going to have to let go of the memories at some point too. So, dude, dude, there's really good studies about people with old, <laughs> Alzheimer's, <laughs> Alzheimer's, old timers. Yeah, <laughs> Alzheimer's. There's people with Alzheimer's who will listen to music, uh-huh. and it really like puts them in a state of of memories and helping the feeling. So my point is, is like you can still bring back memories without having the things like just put some airpods put some cancer pods in my ears <laughs> sean has a question for us to play devil's advocate our memories are often unreliable false memories audience tuning fade to gist what i don't know what those are me either things like videos in our phone can be more reliable so um uh, that's absolutely true. If you have a if you have a perfect recording of a concert that you went to, it's going to be more reliable than your memory of the concert. I'd rather have my memory than the real memory. Uh, well, that's not even the real memory though, right? <laughs> it's not a memory. Right. If it's filmed, it's not a memory. Here's the right. thing though. I I'm advocating getting rid of the physical clutter. The digital stuff, if if you organize it correctly, it's just like the internet. There's no end of the internet. I'm not worried about digital clutter nearly as much as I'm worried about physical clutter. Mm-hmm. But that said, you can still have... You, the, the real digital clutter is how we spend our time online. If yeah. it clutters our time, 
if we're if we're constantly browsing through social media, scrolling, 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 you know, scrolling is the new smoking, mm-hmm. then yeah, that's a problem. But I have a bunch of photos stored on a hard drive and also on Dropbox. Mm-hmm. So what? Yeah, yeah, and they're they're ni- nice nicely labeled. I could ha- literally have a million photos on there. I don't, but it wouldn't matter. I'd never see all of them again. But if I ever wanted to go look one of them yeah, up, yeah, you just look up Sockstar, and there it is. <laughs> Um, Dude, I, again, so what would you rather have, Josh? The memory of the waterfall? Or COVID for eight days. (laughs) The memory of the waterfall or the memory of a little trickle of a stream? Well, so so actually, I would would just append your question here and say, what what would I rather have? The memory of the waterfall or a photo of the stream? Because I don't remember that stream at all, right? right? So I don't even have the memory of the actual stream. So what would you rather have? for sure the memory of the waterfall totally agree which is goes back to what i'm saying is i'd rather have my memory of it than what actually was there yeah it's like those letters of my mom i'd rather like think about those letters and have the emotion of like oh man we were really connected in high school and yeah yada 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 rather than like reading the letters and being like oh these we didn't really connect as much as i thought we did right anyway Sai jen has a question for us Alternatives for people who actually do have medical issues with their memory and need reminders of some sort. You've gone over scan parties, but others are welcome, especially since one may need to go out of their way to hunt through scanned items. So we're talking about, because you brought up the tactile thing, and one thing that came to mind for me was, what if uh, someone was blind? Sure. So like maybe they need it. Like obviously with a book, it's got to be tactile, you know, uh-huh. if they want to read it. Um, braille, yeah. So, so yeah, any, someone who has some kind of disability uh-huh. that's going on. Sure. How can they remember things? Um, yeah. Well, the one thing that I would bring up is what, what I would, I would ask you that question. What do you want to remember? Right. Right. And if you're asking that question, you can have a memory board, some sort of collage that you create. Mm-hmm. And you could even do this frequently, once a quarter, once a year, yeah. where you print out photos, you have sheet music that you created, you have um, you, you could have digital picture frames that sort through these memories as well. And so you, you can have the triggers for the memories. And Mm -hmm. you could even have some tactile items. And that's the point I'm trying to make is that if you hold on to the right things that trigger the right memories, then you give yourself permission to let go of the 99% of the things that are just getting in the way of those memory triggers. Totally agree. Chauncey has a question for us. What do we do with sentimental items that were gifts? Let me append this question. What do we do with gifts? (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's funny. The question is, is um, what do we do with gifts? And I'm going to assign automatically assign sentimental value well, to anything you give me what, as a gift. What, I think what they're talking about is this was your grandfather's pen, Josh. Mm-hmm. I'm giving it to you. Right now, you have to cherish it. Right, because I don't want it anymore in my house. <laughs> <laughs> I have to get rid of it, but I don't want it to go away. So now it's your responsibility. Oh, yeah. dude. I mean, gifts in general. You've got to. It's it. It is it. <clears throat> It seems disrespectful, and I understand where you don't want to hurt someone's feelings of getting rid of a gift, but in the same token, if they're giving you a gift that doesn't serve a purpose or that it doesn't bring you joy, aren't they being disrespectful to giving you a gift that, well, because I, I'm i entitled to be upset because I gave you something, yes. and you're supposed to enjoy it. Right. Like, that's... Uh, that's effectively what they're saying. Yeah. And, and of course, most people aren't going to say it that way, 
But they're go- a lot of people will say it hurt my feelings that you got rid of the gift, and yep. you have to be prepared to have a discussion around that. Yep. Now, the better way to do that is to set expectations beforehand. Let people know that that if they get you a gift and you, it doesn't have a place in your life, mm-hmm. you may decide to get rid of that gift I, in the future. I did that with the paperweight my Oma gave me. Yeah, she was like she just wanted to give me something, and she had it. It was still in the box. Like you could tell she bought it and just never used it. And she was like, I know that you 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 write things, so you probably got papers everywhere. Like, I don't know what you... <laughs> papers strewn everywhere. A paperweight is literally like the cliche of like... <laughs> yeah. Of, of dead weight. Yeah, and I and I said to her, um, uh, you know, I acknowledged how much she loves me uh-huh. and that she's trying to express her love with this gift. Right. I'm like, however, I, I don't need a paperweight, so I would be happy to find a home for this. Right. I was just going to go donate it let them find a home for it um i said i'll be i'll be happy to find a home for this but if you don't want me to find a home for this if you want to try and find a home for it uh, please hold on to it and she was like oh okay yeah and she her feelings weren't hurt or anything it's it's all on how you approach it and and i think part of that has to do ryan though it wasn't just that one conversation when she was trying to give you the gift you had done a good job up to that point setting expectations yeah for months or years before that now if this is the, your first your first go around, you might just have to accept the gift and say thank you very much for the gift. Mm-hmm. And in the future, when it's not gift giving time, on a on a non gift giving day, just start talking to people who are close to you about your expectations for gifts. And instead of telling them no, one of the things I find to be really important, and this is one of our, our it's the minimalist gift giving rule, and we have the minimalist gift getting rule. Mm. If you want better gifts. You need to start asking for better gifts. Yeah. Now that sounds counterintuitive as a minimalist because, like, what do you mean? Minimalists should ask for better gifts. Yeah, we should. Now we should say instead of getting me this physical widget, this necktie, this pair of cufflinks, this Christmas sweater, whatever it might be, gift me an experience, some concert tickets, or or you know, uh, consumables, coffee, chocolate, etc. Can yeah. you go out there and tell them to be quiet? What's going on in the hallway? They're done. Okay. Um, It's over. And uh, anyway, uh, you can tell them what you do want, or you can ask them to donate to a charity in your name. That is a better gift than receiving something that isn't In a tie clip. Yeah, 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 which which you're never going to use, or it might get in the way, right? Mm -hmm. Now, it's not to say that I'm against all physical gifts. I just don't want you to confuse gift giving with a love language. Mm -hmm. I think gifts... What we really mean by that is contributing, adding value to someone's life is a love language. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we can do that through physical items. We don't have to wait for an obligatory gift-giving birthday or holiday to do that. We can, if, if Ryan needs, I don't know, uh, something, uh, a new pair of shoes, mm-hmm. and I got him a new pair of shoes, I wouldn't wait till October 23rd to say, oh, Ryan, it's October 23rd. I know your feet are bleeding now because you haven't had shoes for a month. Uh, I would just give them to you because I wanted to give them to you and not wait. And I try to do the same thing. You know, we have Ella's birthday coming up and we will gift experiences to her mm-hmm. and it will be f- far richer of an experience than if she were just to get another toy. We still get her toys. I like to do that typically on days that aren't her birthday or on a holiday. So mm-hmm. it's not the, the sort of obligatory expectation. I think it's probably a good place to end it, Ryan. We're going to, uh, we have a, a whole Ask the Minimalist session to record for our true fans on Patreon, for the VIPs and true fans. Thank you, all of you. If you are a Patreon supporter, we are really grateful. Amen. Uh, every not, mo- we every- literally cannot do this without you. 
Re- so every two dollars that you give us, yes, this is this is this happens because of you. Amen. Yeah. All right, y'all. Love people. Use things. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Dan minimalists. <laughs>